Welcome into this week's edition of Millennial Opinion. I'm your host, Harris White, here with only one of my co-hosts this week, Ty Tud Hope. Ty, how's it going? It's going good, man. Did you have a good weekend? Good Thanksgiving? Yeah, you can never, can never complain about Thanksgiving food, seeing the family. Of course, there's a great, lot of great football on, both college and pro. What's your favorite Thanksgiving food? Oh, man, favorite Thanksgiving food. It might be uh, dressing, bro. I've, uh, mm. In the past couple of years, that's that's climbed up my ladder of Thanksgiving food. Um, I always love just like turkey and rolls, making a little sandwich. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's a good one, too. What about you? I would say we have great gravy. And I know that's not necessarily a food, but my, my grandmother makes a great giblet gravy that is killer in comparison to everything else on the plate. But she also makes killer rolls as well. So I think the rolls might take the cake now that I'm thinking about it. And that's more of a traditional food. But yeah, Owen was not able to join us for Thanksgiving, and he's not able to join us tonight on the podcast either. But he's a busy man. He was in Phoenix for the Suns game last night. Obviously, he lives there, but was there for the Suns-Warriors game. Did you watch any of that? I did watch that. I actually bet on the Suns. It's a big, big-time win for me right there. Yeah, especially with Devin Booker going down. That was, oh, yeah. that was a pretty good game. So Owen will be back with us hopefully next week whenever things for him get a little bit easier. He's got finals this week and work pretty much every single night. So busy week for, for the O-man, but he will be back joining us. And we'll be sure to keep everybody updated on his picks and what he's deciding on betting on for this week's NFL because we're getting closer and closer in the race. I mean, some of these weeks I know have been a little bit of – Roller coaster ride for me. And, and <laughs> Owen's been back and forth all season. So we'll see if he can make a comeback. But we got a lot we got to get into today. We're going to run through college, really talk a lot about some of these coaching hires that were made in the past few days that have been big breaking news. And then we're going to get into NFL, make our picks. Ty will run us through this week's games and do our normal routine. So without, yes, without any further ado, let's hop on into it. So to start off, Ty, I want to talk about a lot of the big news in college football this week. But before we get into a lot of the coaching hires, obviously we both got to see each other on Saturday, tailgate a little bit for the Iron Bowl, enjoy our weekend watching Auburn football. Tell me what you felt about the Iron Bowl, and then I'll give you my my review. Yeah, it was a a fun weekend. The atmosphere for the Iron Bowl is always just a little bit different than a normal week. Um, It was – a way closer game than I think everyone expected. We had them on the ropes the entire time leading for most of the game, but obviously Alabama comes out on top. It was just a roller coaster from the the final drive in the fourth quarter and then the back and forth in overtime to get to 24 to 22. But I, I was impressed with our guys. I really wasn't expecting, I was expecting a fight, but not, a chance to win in the fourth quarter and uh, with a quarter backup quarterback that was also limping out there. uh, No Owen Papo lack of a run game. I was, I was very happy with our, uh, our um, showing on Saturday and just hope to build from it. Hopefully that can help us with recruiting because the last quarter of the season didn't go as planned, obviously, but um, I was, I was, I was impressed with us. How about you? Yeah, absolutely. There was, just the classic Iron Bowl feel. It's like you said, it's different than every other week of the season. And I would be willing to 
put you know put it out there that I think it's different than any other game in college football, just because. And I had this written down. It has the ability to change a crappy game or matchup into something that's historic. And this week might not be the most historic, but it was a true symbol of taking a game which people probably weren't looking forward to. We were obviously looking forward to going out and competing in the atmosphere around the game, but probably didn't have the highest hopes. And then you're able to turn it into what kind of felt like a classic at different points in the game. And I don't know. It, it's I think that's different than Ohio State, Michigan, which has been relatively uncompetitive. We'll talk about them, you know, changing that up this year. But Auburn has always been able to give Alabama a challenge and vice versa when Auburn's been the better team or program for decades of years Alabama's been able to challenge Auburn it's just a a matchup that is different than everything else in college football and like I said the ability for it to take a crappy matchup or a game that people aren't looking forward to and turning it turning into what's a classic or something that was just an amazing game to watch at the end of it is uh, something that's unlike any other I, I agree with you the lack of the offensive production for both teams was really shocking I thought Alabama would be able to put up some points and Auburn Vice versa, I thought Alabama's biggest weakness was on the defensive side of the ball, and it ended up being just a weird offensive production game for both teams. Auburn only had 20 yards or 21 yards on the ground um, because of T.J. Finley's negative 40 rushing yards, and Alabama only had 71. I think Bryce Young had around negative 20 rushing yards himself. It was just an odd uh, game running the ball for both teams. With that being said, Auburn stayed committed to the run, and the lack of Auburn's not or lack of a number one receiver for Auburn really poked its head again. We didn't have anybody to target with the ball primarily on offense. And I, I guess I have some respect, even though Mike Bobo has now been let go as, or is not returning dismissed, uh, whatever you want to call it. He won't be returning as Auburn's offensive coordinator. I do have a respect of him coming out and saying we had an issue the week before against South Carolina, where we weren't dedicated enough to the run and, saying we're going to give Tank the ball as many times as it takes and take care of it and be somewhat conservative in the play calling. But I didn't mind the way Auburn went out. I thought that it was going to take a solid running game, and we handed the ball 29 times, and we're obviously committed to trying to make it happen. It didn't turn out. And that's also set, you know, set, has something to do with TJ being injured, having a hurt ankle, and really – was it his ankle? Yeah, I think somewhere yeah. in his lower leg. Yeah, and and despite his injury, TJ played relatively efficient. He was 17 to 26. He only had 137 yards, maybe three for two touchdown passes. But it was clear that Auburn's offense just lacked some dynamic playmaking ability on the outside. Bryce Young didn't have an amazing game, but did what he needed to do to win. 25 of 51 for 317 and two touchdowns, but which for most people would be great throwing for over 300 yards for Bryce Young. Not not his best game efficiency-wise. Alabama's late offensive drive really gave them the mojo back, I thought, in that fourth quarter, driving down what was a 98-yard drive with no timeouts, their ability to get in the end zone, ultimately force an overtime. That gave them their mojo and swagger back, and I felt, like you said, Auburn had Alabama on the ropes for the majority of the game. I felt like in overtime, we felt like we were on the ropes pretty much the whole time. Alabama was really putting the pressure on us because their offense was back to being its dynamic, usual self. And then Auburn's ability to get pressure was fantastic to see. I thought that we did a really good job putting pressure on Alabama, uh, bringing different guys from the outside. We blitzed more than we typically do and made Bryce Young get the ball out of his hand. 
Like I said, he had negative 20 rushing yards because we were in the backfield a lot of the night. And that's a big weakness for Alabama going forward into what's their biggest game of the year against Georgia, who obviously has the ability to make plays defensively. It, it's it's going to be a good one in the SEC championship game. I'm interested to see what, what happens. The last thing I have about this game, Ty, and you can tell me what you think. I think the overtime rule sucks. I think the two-point conversion overtime rule stinks. After, what is it, two overtimes, uh, ties, it turns into the going from the two-yard line for basically a two-point conversion. It's underwhelming, and I hate to say it. I know there's a lot of uh, college football fans out there that might disagree with me, but I think that college football just needs to do what the NFL does. And I think they need to kick the ball off and make somebody drive the full length of the field. I don't agree with the time portion that the NFL does. I understand if you want to continue to do overtimes, but the more and more I've watched professional football, the more and more I've enjoyed the quality of their overtimes because it's not just giving the ball to somebody on the 25-yard line and it's not just giving the ball to somebody on the two and making them run in two-point conversion. It's actually making somebody sustain a drive and putting pressure on them. So I, I think that that is a better way of doing things. Tell me what you think about the overtime rule or just – I don't know what college football could do about it in general to make it more entertaining because I thought it was an underwhelming way to end the game. Yeah, I thought – I honestly thought that the first couple overtimes, I don't mind the getting the ball and each person getting a chance, but I, I, I do think it should be a little bit further back. Like, I think you just keep doing that, but just do it from, like, the 50. Mm-hmm. So, it's like we got – in the second overtime, we got, what, negative 13 yards, and we still kicked a field goal. And it's like we just got negative and, and made it go into the next overtime. I think you at least have to get a first down or two to get points. Uh, yeah, it was unfortunate that it came down to uh, alternating two-point conversions because they just went to their the best player on the field and John Mechie both times, and it wasn't close. And we don't have, obviously, you've mentioned we didn't have a running game the entire game, and we don't have a number one receiver that can get open on a consistent basis. And we didn't have Knicks, who I think would have opened up a different kind of play for a two-point for him to maybe run or do something of that sort. But, yeah, the overtime rule, that's hard because they don't want it to go on forever. And it's like if you don't have a time limit, they don't want ties in college because then it – can make it very difficult for a playoff scenario. And then they don't want you to start at the 20, your own 25. So it'll take forever to finish a game. Right. But it's tough. It, it was unfortunate that it came down to that. But earlier this year, you saw Penn State and Illinois, um, Illinois go into seven. They were just swapping them back and forth going nonstop. I thought it was nine overtimes. Totally. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah seven <laughs> yeah. two-point conversion overtimes. Well, either way, Alabama gets their first win in Jordan-Hare since 2015, a stat that a lot of Auburn fans don't want to hear after firing a coach that has had won there or had beaten Alabama at home you know, for a couple of years in a row, 2017 and 2019, and then obviously Auburn drops their first one with the new head coach, Brian Harson. I don't think too many people are harping on that, but it is a noteworthy stat that that's their first win in Jordan-Hare since that time. Well, let's move on, Ty, and go ahead until, to the biggest talking point in college football right now, which is two noteworthy coaching moves in the, in the college football realm. 
You have Lincoln Riley, the head coach of Oklahoma, or previous head coach of Oklahoma, going to USC. He follows he following Oklahoma's second loss of the season to Oklahoma State. Riley leaves for Southern California, and then you have Brian Kelly to LSU. Kelly leaves after Notre, Notre Dame after 12 years. The Irish are 11 and one right now. They're sitting at the fifth spot on the playoff ranking. Is that correct? Uh, or the no, sixth six, Sorry, sixth spot behind Oklahoma State. He signs a 10-year contract with LSU, um, and the players found out via the news before Kelly could speak to them. This was an unfortunate situation considering Brian Kelly had some controversial ways of going out when he was at his time during Cincinnati. was also kind of a shit show, so him leaving in this way wasn't the best thing to reflect on his character. But let's go back to Lincoln Riley here at USC, and let's just talk about some of the pros and cons about this coaching move. And I'll let you go first, Ty. But tell me, tell me what you think some of the pros, if you're Lincoln Riley, for going to Southern California are. Well, obviously, I think one of his main uh, reasonings behind this move is to get out of the SEC. I'm pretty sure Oklahoma and Texas's move is to the SEC is going to happen. And I don't think he – wants to be in the SEC West or in the SEC in general. I just – he's starting to lose multiple games per season at Oklahoma now, and it's not as easy in the SEC as it is in in the Big 12 even. And with the, the uh, offer that USC laid out on the table for him, I think it was almost impossible to pass up. I think it was over $100 million with a private jet with – buying his houses in Oklahoma with buying him a new house in LA. And it's just, he's already flipping commits from Oklahoma. I know Malachi Nelson has already switched from Oklahoma to USC and a couple other ones, a linebacker uh, receiver, Brandon Ennis and Trey, Trayon Webb receiver and running back. Both are decommitted from Oklahoma, a lot of people in the portal already. So this is just a big mess for Oklahoma. And Oklahoma fans have have let uh, Lincoln know a little bit about it. Yeah. They're not happy. Yeah, absolutely. So for the pros, obviously a lot of the same things that you just went over. I had listed local talent pool. I heard a quote yesterday that yep. Pete Carroll said during his time there that they never had to drive three – You can you can never drive outside of three hours away from the campus – and you can still have a top five recruiting class. And that's really, really impressive considering the talent that California and the state of California has in that L.A. area. So having that local talent pool is completely different than bringing somebody uh, to Stillwater, Oklahoma. Or not Stillwater, is it? Yeah, Stillwater is where they are. And then obviously they have a huge college brand. USC, much like Oklahoma, is one of the biggest names in college football. So it's almost a lateral move in that way. I think Oklahoma will still be fine. They'll get a great coach. They'll still be able to recruit well. But it's the fact that the name of, of Southern California is just as high as the name that he was at with, uh, with Oklahoma. There's a massive stage in L.A. And just now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, I'm thinking more about how the NLI and – uh, the ability to for people to gain uh, money off of their name, image, likeness plays a factor in this. Because oh, yeah. when you talk about recruiting in LA, the opportunities to be on the biggest stage for really media personalities and just I would say internet presence in the world is located in Los Angeles right now. And I think that that's going to play a huge portion in recruiting and a- able to bring guys on campus. 
that that's something that I haven't really thought about until just now. It's going to play a big part in, in in Lincoln Riley's ability to recruit effectively there. As you said, the instant impact is possible. Malachi Nelson follows immediately to, to Lincoln Riley's move to USC. You get a five-star quarterback just like that, number three overall player in the class, I think is what I saw. Mm-hmm. And then the other portion is kind of what you hit on. Oklahoma, was they were a little stagnant where they were. And defensively, they had improved slightly this year, but without a Heisman-winning quarterback, they just didn't see the same playmaking ability. Lincoln Riley's obviously a capable coach and a capable recruiter, and Oklahoma was somewhat just spinning their wheels in mud, and this is previous to joining the SEC where they're going to have to play a lot tougher competition on a regular day basis. So that is obviously the pros that stick out. And I think that one extra thing I put on here was that the transfer portal is a pro because – USC might not have the most talent in their in their locker room and in their program right now, but the transfer portal and the accessibility to players to move throughout the country right now, I think is a huge plus for Lincoln Riley and this team to be able to bring guys in almost immediately. And like we said, we already had a guy who's a five-star commit coming from high school switching over with Lincoln Riley. There's going to be a lot of kids leaving their schools this year. There's a lot of coaching changes. There's going to be a lot of talent out on the air app transferring and I think that Lincoln Riley and USC is going to have a chance to grab a lot of those. So I think the transfer portal really helps the lack of talent that might be in that program right now. Um, yep. Let's move on to the cons, though. What are some of the cons you see for Lincoln Riley's move to USC? Well, obviously, he's. I feel like he kind of has to prove himself for a couple more years. Like, you're kind of starting from the bottom again. Not necessarily from the bottom, because USC is a good football program. But you can't go seven and five, eight and four, and expect to get all these recruits that you were getting at Oklahoma. I mean, people want to go to a school that's going to win. And I also think that given the Pac-12's history of not being able to get into the playoff with a one-loss team is also leaves very little margin for error when you're – I mean, you still have a couple teams that – uh, can be competitive UCLA Oregon as of late um, obviously Washington has been up and down in the past few years but it just v- gives you very little margin for error <clears throat> but with that being said we talked a few a couple months ago when USC fired Clay Helton about what kind of coach they needed to get and we were trying to come up with it and I think this is the guy I mean it's just a big name offensive juggernaut head coach that he's going to get guys no matter what. It's not someone that hasn't been a college coach before or a first time being a head coach. So it's a little skeptical. No, it's, it's Lincoln Riley. So I think that was a great hire for USC. I don't think there's anyone else in the country except for Nick Saban that they would want to handpick for that position. So good job on their part. Good way to pry him away from a pretty good situation in Oklahoma. Yeah, Lincoln Raleigh, like you said, is the best possible scenario for USC. And I think the cons in this for Lincoln Riley, like you said, it's a, it's a major rebuild. This team since 2017 has only won five games, more than five games one time. And before that, I'll give them credit, they won 11 and 10 in consecutive years. But that goes back to there being – an instant impact possibility because those 11 and 10 win consecutive year seasons were right when Clay Helton took over. So I think bringing life into this program can have a very quick turnaround. 
So it is a major rebuild in the fact that they haven't won a lot of games recently. But I do think the, the instant rebound potential is there as well. And then lastly, I think that you hit the nail on the head, Ty. One loss at USC is enough to be the nail in the coffin. Unless the playoff expands right now with a four-playoff team, a one-loss Pac-12 team just isn't making it in. This year was might, might have been the exception with Oregon, considering they had beaten Ohio State on the road. But it wasn't for that win. They probably wouldn't have been in a playoff conversation. They probably would have been on the outside looking in for most of the season. Oklahoma – or not Oklahoma, USC – this will be a low, lower level of competition in both recruiting and in their conference, and they are expected to dominate because they're, they're going to have more talent on the field than everybody else. So I think that one loss will be – it's a slippery slope to go down if you can only take one loss and your playoff chances get tossed out the window. And I think that that's probably the biggest con um, for, for Lincoln Riley. But with that being said, if you only take one loss and you're able to come out the Pac-12 champion – there's enough momentum there to keep building the program. I think that this program is just happy winning more than eight games for at least a couple of years while he gets his feet under him. But I think there's obviously the potential for them to come out and be a really quality football team really quickly, especially with the transfer portal impact, like I said. But let's go ahead and move on to Brian Kelly at LSU. Like I said, Kelly leaves Notre Dame after 12 years. The Irish are 11-1 right now, six in overall in the playoff ranking. New 10-year contract. Give me the pros, Ty, and Brian Kelly and the hire for LSU for both sides of this deal. Yeah, the pros for Brian Kelly is somehow recruiting just got easier. You're going to one of the biggest talent pools. Louisiana is one of the most underrated recruiting spots in the country. I mean, you don't have to go out of the state very much to get a solid team to compete in the SEC. So that's a big pro. Obviously, the contract for him is outrageous. I mean, insane amount of money. It's hard to turn that down. Um, He's going to get tested, which is, I mean, I'm sure he wants to. I'm sure he wants to get into the nitty-gritty. He's tired of playing, you know, crappy teams going 11 and 1 and not getting a shot in the playoff like this year he's just not even going to get in maybe they might get in but i think he wants to compete and be in a big time program and LSU is that that kind of program um i think it's going to be a, a great hire I, a lot of people were i don't know it's a little iffy on it i guess you could say but I think he's going to thrive in this situation. You just got to not screw it up. And I think this guy knows how to coach a football team. He gets Notre Dame to 10 wins every year almost. They've been a powerhouse for multiple years. So I, I think this might be a little bit of a learning curve his first couple years. But once he gets his guys in there and gets his coaching around him, then I, I think it'll be a, a pretty good hire for LSU. I'm with you. I think that – I think that Brian Kelly is a quality football coach. I think that he will put a product on the field that the LSU fan base will appreciate and be happy with year in and year out. There's obviously a higher ceiling at LSU than there is at Notre Dame. He leaves Notre Dame, which has this almost stench and negativity around their program, not with the people that are their fan base or in the, in the offices, but the college football fans in general almost look down on Notre Dame in a way because they don't play in a conference with everybody. They don't play in a conference championship. They've gotten to the playoff and they've gotten smoked, but then somehow they're still 
can, you know, put in that conversation every year. And so I think that he leaves a program that people almost view negatively for some, they, Notre Dame has caught a bad rap in college football for a few years now and has been looked at in a negative light. And so I think that moving to a p- program that people really enjoy and there's a lot of excitement around with LSU is a totally different move and a great career choice for him. He obviously leaves Notre Dame's recruiting qualifications and limitations. It's a very good academic school. It's a Catholic school. They have a lot of high values there. When it comes to recruiting, they weren't going to take just everybody, and it's hard to get kids enrolled and in classes there. So he goes to LSU, which is a little bit more lenient with who they're going to let in the classroom. And obviously there's immediate recruiting challengers in the SEC. You have to recruit against Nick Saban. You have to recruit against Auburn, Sam Pittman in Arkansas, Jimbo at Texas A&M. You have Sarkeesian. You have Oklahoma is going to be joining the car conference soon you have florida georgia so there's obviously competitive recruiting there but there's also an abundance of talent to choose from so there will still be talent that trickles into the program easily obviously the sec is a bigger stage than anything notre dame was playing on and uh, another pro is that the talent is present there they had a number three overall recruiting class in 2021 they had the number four recruiting class in 2020 and a number five in in, uh, the year before that So the talent is present in the program, and you know you can recruit effectively. It's just about getting out and doing it. How about the cons? Give me the cons of this deal if you're Brian Kelly. I think obviously the biggest con is going to be his job security. I don't think he was anywhere near a hot seat at Notre Dame, and I think he could have just kept coasting to 10 win seasons with them for years to come, but LSU, kind of like Auburn, kind of like uh, Bama, Georgia, if you're not getting to the big-time games, if you're not getting to the games that matter where your team is playing Bama or Auburn or Georgia with a chance to go to the playoff or with a chance to go to the SEC championship, then you're going to get gone. And it's that contract, that however many years it was, it, it doesn't matter. It could go two years three years and you'll you'll be out of there so i mean they're the lsu fans are very passionate about football and they uh they take it very seriously so he just needs to <clears throat> not lose games that he should win i'll right. put it like that don't lose to subpar opponents at a frequent basis like you got to win against teams like arkansas win against teams like mississippi state South Carolina, things like that, to really secure your spot as a head coach for LSU for multiple seasons. Okay, I have four big cons and takeaways for Brian Kelly in this situation. The first is a little – it's a little bit of a stretch of a con, but I do think it does make somewhat of a difference. He has a loss here from leaving Notre Dame of a historic rivalry. Notre Dame has a lot of those. They play against USC every year. Uh, they play against – remind me a couple more of their historic rivalries. Uh, they play – I'm trying to think somebody they play every single year, every single season. They kind of jump around in different conferences. They may play uh, Florida State every year. They play Stanford know. every year, I believe. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'll see. And, and like I said, this might be a stretch, but at LSU, the biggest rival they have is probably Bama or Florida who considers their biggest rival to be different opponents. And I just think that that's yeah. LSU doesn't put them 
centric in the biggest games, but obviously there's been some really big LSU and Alabama games in the past, been some really big LSU and Florida games. So I think that potential is there, but I do think losing some of that historic rivalry is a little bit of a, of a con of your Brian Kelly. The other three are a lot more impactful to me. The first one is it's a harder path to the playoff in the SEC West. That's just period and subjects harder yeah. than what anything Notre Dame's had to go through recently. It's harder than anything that he was uh, used to at Cincinnati. It's going to be a different beast playing in that division in that conference. The next is that the transfer portal, because of the present talent, it's the opposite of Lincoln Riley. That's a, that's a pro for Lincoln Riley because you can get talent in very quickly. For Brian Kelly, it's a con because you're going to try to hold on to that talent when they're fighting to leave. They've had Coach O, and now there's a coaching change, and there's a lot of talent in that program, and you're going to be trying to fight to hold on to that talent so that people don't leave when it's really easy to get up and move it over to a different school these days. So I think the transfer portal is a con in this situation for Brian Kelly, almost in the opposite situation that it was for Lincoln, Lincoln Riley. And then lastly, I think the biggest con about this job, and this is just how I've felt about LSU's football program really since Les Miles, is since Nick Saban, they haven't had a seriousness and a um, – I'm trying to think of the correct term for the type of leader they've had at the top of their program. Les Miles and Coach O were both very outgoing, almost goofy, entertaining type of personalities, different from a Saban, different from a Kirby Smart, different from a Brian Harson type. I think the Brian Kelly has to rebrand this program to being more of a serious, dedicated, committed football program and not um, – you know, looking for sound bites, looking for funny clips on the internet. I think Coach O was great about recruiting, motivating the guys, but there was a goofiness around him. And Les Miles, there definitely was a goofiness of him eating grass and being the Mad Hatter and this, that, and the other. I think Brian Kelly has to rebrand away from LSU being the the fun team and back to them being a hard nosed football team that is very, very solid on both sides of the ball and that is very disciplined on and off the field. So I think that's the biggest con. But overall, I think both Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly made great moves for their career. And ultimately, I think they'll, they'll benefit at the, the, based on the move that they made, and it will ultimately benefit college football as well. Because I think that both of these programs being quality programs are obviously great for college football. And I think both of the programs that they're leaving will bounce back relatively, relatively easily. Yeah, I completely agree. And with these – coaches moving you now have other jobs open you still got oklahoma's open uh notre dame's now open auburn offense coordinators open uh obviously billy napier also went to florida that's a Mm -hmm. big move for him as well and did you Um, hear the rumor that brian kelly's agent called whenever for the florida job opened and that florida told brian kelly we already know who we want we're not interested in anybody else Wow. Yep. Wow. So they yeah, were locked they, in on Napier and they wanted him apparently very early in the process. They were already dedicated to going towards him. Yep. Yep. So, they, they hired him quickly right after the season was over. Yep. And then uh, University of Washington jobs obviously open. There were some yep. rumors about Brian Harson being interested in that job. I think he's subtly addressed them both in the press conference and then via Twitter. Seems like he's going to stay put in Auburn, which is great for us and our program. Mm-hmm. But it, it was nice to see him be dedicated 
you know, to what he's building here and not too wishy-washy in comparison to what people were saying uh, yeah. before the Alabama game. Do you want to do you want to hit on the playoff really quickly? I mean, there's really not much to update. Obviously, Ohio State loses, and them and Michigan kind of flip flop in that scenario. Mm-hmm. And then, other than that, I was a little surprised not to see Cincinnati jump Alabama and Alabama to be at four. I think that it doesn't really matter because I know the playoff committee is sitting there thinking, well, if Alabama loses this week to Georgia, they're out anyways. So. But it's going to be interesting to see who gets in that four spot. So I guess the question to you, Ty, is if Alabama loses to Georgia this weekend, who falls into that four spot? Well, I will say, obviously, I think if Oklahoma State handles business against Baylor, I think that Oklahoma State will be in the four spot and Bama will move out. But if Baylor beats Oklahoma State, then you have – two possible teams getting the four spot. I think it's going to be Notre Dame or Alabama. And you got an 11 and 2 Alabama and an 11 and 1 Notre Dame without a head coach. And the committee said last night after the rankings if that is to happen to where it's between Notre Dame and another team to get in, they will heavily weigh the fact that their head coach just left. So I think Alabama fans are going to be paying more. I mean, not that they're not going to pay attention to their game, but they're going to be paying attention heavily to the Big 12 championship. And if Oklahoma State loses, I think Bama's in regardless. I don't see Notre Dame jumping them. I don't see Ohio State, Mississippi, Ole Miss, or Baylor jumping up from seven, eight, nine without playing. Obviously, Baylor would get a win. I don't see Baylor jumping up from nine to four over Alabama. So I think the the Big Twelve Championship heavily weighs this uh, this playoff, how this factors in. But then uh, an, another thing that could happen is Bama wins, and then how do you seed the whole thing? Do you drop Georgia down to four? Or they? I mean, because I think wanna... Georgia goes to three in that scenario, and. Yeah. Because they had the most recent loss, and then Alabama's at one, um, Ole Mi- or Michigan, Michigan or maybe even Michigan, maybe even Michigan at one, and then yeah. uh, but but one of those. But then you would have Georgia Bama immediate rematch. If you, I think they'll try to avoid that. As I much think that as they'll possible. try to avoid that, and I'll be really interested to see if Bama does lose, and in the fashion that they lose, and then like you said, if Oklahoma State loses how they'll see Bama and Cincinnati to avoid that matchup if yeah. possible. But it's – But it's if Cincinnati wins and Alabama loses, then the only thing is Bama at four, Cincy three. If yeah, Oklahoma it, it, State's it's out. almost undeniable that if Bama loses this game, they have to fall behind Cincinnati. They have no, to. absolutely. Yeah. So that will be interesting to find out. College football playoff always keeping us – on our toes, and Oklahoma State is making a push to make their first playoff berth. I think that's pretty interesting as a headline. Michigan obviously making their first uh, playoff push. And then obviously you have Cincinnati. Cincinnati, first possible group of five team who is looking like they have a very good chance to be in the playoff if they don't shoot themselves in the foot this weekend. It should shake out to be an interesting one, that's for sure. Yeah, I would love for it to be Georgia, Michigan, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma State and get some fresh faces in there. Georgia's made it in one time, but everyone else has never – so, I mean, one combined playoff appearance between all four teams is just a complete 
mix up from what we're used to seeing with Clemson, Bama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, those four teams all not being in it possibly. So I'm, I'm excited for this weekend. I think there's going to be some good games on the slate, obviously. Um, but, yeah, that's about it for the playoff, man. All right, well, let's uh, go ahead and move on to NFL. And you take the reins here, do your thing, run us through the games, and we'll talk about them. So, obviously, we had our <coughs> games on Thanksgiving this week. Um, the first game was the Bears-Lions. Uh, the Bears hit a game-winning field goal, kind of had a methodical drive at the end to put the nail in the coffin of the Lions remaining winless, and they moved to 0-10-1. and um, This was kind of your, your uh, average Lions Thanksgiving game, real low scoring, not many big plays happening, but it was a good game at the end. Um, but this was a huge win, I think, more so for Matt Nagy than the Lions. I think he needed this one more than, than the Lions needed it to re- retain his job and kind of keep moving forward. Cause I know there was a lot of rumors this week about him possibly getting fired after this game was over, or maybe even just at the end of the season, they were going to move on from him, but uh, they're four and seven. I don't, I wouldn't say they're in the playoff hunt necessarily, but they're still within striking distance. And who do they play this week? Let's see the Bears. I believe they're still in the. I think they're still in the hunt. Yeah, I mean they're in it. I just don't see them. Yeah, me either. Me either. Um, let's see. They play Arizona, so that's a huge game for them if they could somehow pull that out. But your thoughts? I don't know if you watched this game or not. I watched a little bit of it. The the this Lions defense has played pretty pretty well in the past few games against. I wouldn't say bad offenses, but just one-dimensional offenses, whether it's like the Browns when they had um, no Baker, or maybe Baker was injured in that game. I can't remember. Then they had the Steelers who had no Big Ben, and then they had the uh, Bears with no Justin Fields. And the Lions, I mean, stepped up and limited these teams, but you still can't give up 300 yards passing to Andy Dalton and expect to win the game. That That's just bad defense in, in one dimension of – the overall scheme. And then the offense for the Lions, they've played some really, really tough teams. They've played those three, like those Browns, Steelers, and then now the Bears. Like Those are three good, solid defensive teams. Um, and golf has been efficient, but losing DeAndre Swift really, really hurt them because yeah. he's their best offensive playmaker. Either way, Bears got the win. They're still somewhat in shouting distance of that seventh spot with the expansion in the playoffs. So I think the Lions – just kind of have to keep putting one foot in front of the other and, and take what's coming to them. And the Bears, you're just trying to stay in the middle of the pack and not fall into the, the lower tier of the league. Because if, if that happens, Matt Nagy's gone. But if they're able to retain middle of the pack, around 500 uh, record, then they'll be okay. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, moving on. This is uh, my favorite Thanksgiving tradition might be <laughs> – Falling asleep during the Cowboys game in the middle of the day, and then after up I've and eaten, seeing that they've lost. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I eat. You eat your Thanksgiving meal. You're sitting down. You're like, wow, this Raiders Cowboys game is gonna be gonna be a good one. And then in the second quarter, I'm just out like a light. I'm just snoozing on the couch, and I end up waking up in the fourth quarter for the for the end, which was a great game, probably the game of the day. Uh, 
but the Raiders pull out a big win, 36 to 33. The MVP of the game who got the turkey leg is Auburn alum Daniel Carlson <laughs> making five field goals, had a 50, 59, 56 yarders, big, big time field goal in the fourth quarter, um, 56 yarder. But this was a huge win for the Raiders to stay alive above 500 and in the hunt for the division, even. And the Cowboys are now slumping a little bit down to seven and four. I still think their division, they have their division under control, but a hunt for the top seed has gotten a little bit harder for them at this point. Yeah. And hey, I'd just like to say real quick, I just got a text message from a loyal listener. And they sent me their Spotify 2021 wrapped and coming in at their number four top podcast of the year is Millennial Opinion. So we'll give a round of applause to Jared Belcher for being a loyal, loyal fan and listener of the podcast. Everybody keep it up. And if we do fall in your uh, Spotify 2021 wrapped, send us a screenshot of it. We'll put it on our Instagram. So uh, a fun little note there. Yeah, but back to this game, Raiders and Cowboys. Cowboys have now lost four of their last five Thanksgiving games. I don't know what the hell is going on there because they have played some really bad teams. This Raiders team, not a bad team. Played well, got some fight in them. Biggest note of this game, I've said it all year, start, start putting more respect on Derek Carr's name. We, I think, Ty, I think next episode, one thing I want to do is go back over our quarterback tiers after mm-hmm. this point in the season and see where we re-rank people and who's fallen okay. or maybe jumped into the news tiers. And then we'll yeah. go through like another power ranking edition because I know we did that at kind For of sure. the first third of the season marking point. So once we get Owen back, we can redo those things. But I think Derek Carr is a, a second-tier quarterback in this league. He might be bottom second tier, but I think that he is a top 15 easily quarterback, maybe a yeah. top 12. He's consistent, man. He can make plays when this uh, team has – I think they're one big offensive weapon away from being really good offensively. They have Darren Waller. Renfro's a very solid slot guy to go through on third, to go to on third downs. If they could have just kept Antonio Brown and had him mm. like peak AB, this team would look completely different offensively. Obviously, the recent loss of Henry Ruggs doesn't help that. But I think that this team is one big offensive weapon away from being a really good offensive team year in and year out. On the Cowboys, they're best when they can run the ball effectively, and that just wasn't the case in this game. Um, the Cowboys didn't have a lot of weapons available. C.D. Lamb was out, Mark Cooper out, and it hasn't been the best stretch for Dallas in this in this past these past few games. They've lost to the Chiefs, they've lost to the Broncos and the Raiders. They beat the Falcons, but they're hitting the easiest portion of their season coming up. They played the uh, football team twice. They played the Giants once. They play the Eagles, and I think the hardest game they have in these next like stretch is they have the Cardinals one game. Um, but they still have a chance to get in the top NFC playoff spot just based on that portion of their schedule being easy. They steamroll through that like they are capable of and really emphasize, hey, let's get back on track. They could, they could end up in a really good spot in the NFC, but we'll see how that plays out as the, uh, these games go along because Dallas needs to get back to playing their best football at this time in the year. But that's, that's exactly what you want is to see that back half of the season looking like something you could tackle and gain momentum going into the playoff. So we'll see what Dallas is, is capable of doing. Yeah, and I think these past two weeks have really shown 
Amari Cooper's uh, value to the Cowboys, yep. and especially also C.D. Lamb. I mean, the last six quarters for the Cowboys have not been the same on offense without – because, I mean, you lose Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb on the outside, and I think that was that uh, allowed the, the Raiders to kind of stack the box a little bit and not let Pollard and uh, Zeke get – get going at all in the run game and make those other receivers make some plays. But I was impressed with Carr as well. I mean, he threw all the stuff the Raiders have been through this year. And then Darren Waller goes out in this game in the early second quarter, and he he still was able to put up 36 points. So that was a really good game. Moving on to the night game, this was just a blowout. It doesn't shock me. Saints had 14 starters out and the Bills are coming off like back-to-back losses maybe or lost two of the three yeah, and three. they uh they really had their way against the Saints even though it was close at half I think it was only 10 to th- 10 to nothing at halftime but the second half Josh Allen got going a little bit extending the ball down the field um Stefan Diggs had a few big plays 74 yards, seven catches, and a touchdown. Uh, Dawson Knox had two touchdowns as well. But, yeah, the Saints are just – they're just trying to recover from some injuries, trying to get some people healthy. I think they're on bye this week, or maybe not. No, they're not. not. They play tomorrow night. It's the Cowboys. Yep. But Trevor Simeon with no receivers, no Alvin Kamara, I mean, it's tough to watch the Saints play offensive football. Um, their defense is still very good, even with the injuries that they have, but just not enough when you can't move the ball and just constantly on defense against the Bills. But I don't know if you have much to add from that. But No, I don't have much to add. The, the Bills needed to get back on track. They needed this win. The Saints have to get something going offensively. That's different, like you said, without Alvin Kamara and all their injuries that they have across their team, it's been really hard for them to be just consistent this season. But I think I saw that Taysom Hill is taking first-team reps in practice this week and is expected to start. I like that move. I think that it just breathes some life into this offense with guys out. So maybe the Saints were able to get something going. I think it's a tougher matchup against Dallas – or I think it's a tougher matchup for Dallas than people are going to think it is. I would be – I would not be scared to bet on the Saints this week. The last thing I have to say about this game is I'm still really, really worried that the Bills rely way too heavily on Josh Allen. They don't have a run game. Diggs hasn't been the same this year. Dawson Knox has emerged as a good target for him, and I think that's good. But we've just seen him throw the ball way, way too many times in comparison to the amount that they're getting to put on the ground. Yeah, I know they re- I know they believe in him. I know they want to rely on him, and he's the biggest part of their offense. But there's something to be said for a healthy balance, and I just don't think it's there for this Bills team. And right now, the good news for them is that their defense has been playing better. The bad news is that their offense has been turning the ball over a lot. So I think that the Bills got to find some ways to get other guys involved, uh, whether that's using Singletary in a more of like a screen role catching out of the backfield i know that's more throws for josh allen but it, it's almost simulates a run game in a way it, it's just yeah. got to be something different they got to they got to be able to change up their offense because good teams are going to key in and make josh allen really really suffer if they keep doing this yeah and i was watching this as well and 
the uh, the announcers were talking about how many hits he was taking in that game just for no reason. I mean, they were up 21 to nothing, and he's taking running for five yards and getting laid out. And it was like, we get that you're a young guy and it's not hurting you now, but taking those hits consistently is just not good for someone that you want to be your quarterback for 15 seasons. And he's a big like, guy, but that, that's yeah. no excuse. I mean, yeah, I mean, Cam's a big guy, and he – played yeah, nine exactly. years and obviously now he's just not the same um we'll get to that later but the <laughs> next game <laughs> the next game on the list was a huge game for the colts and they had it it looked like they had it the whole way and hmm. the bucks just sneak up and grab them 38 31 tom brady is 9 and 0 against the colts since 2010 just dominates indianapolis but I will say there are some positives for the Colts coming out of this game. I thought that their offense looked very good. They were moving the ball consistently with a run or pass. Um, Carson Wentz had 300 yards and three touchdowns. They had over 100 yards rushing, but you just got to get rid of the two picks for Wentz. He just still is making too many mistakes, in my opinion. He's a little loose with the ball. Um, Both in the second half, I think, too. Yeah, and against the the Bucks, you can't turn the ball over and give Brady extra possessions, especially when I think they had two turnovers themselves. So, um, I still think Indianapolis is in the hunt for the division because I think that the the Titans, with people going on IR all over the place, they could slide. I mean, I'm not sure how how many they'll lose, but I mean they're sitting there at six and six and. The Titans are eight and four, so not too far behind. Obviously, the games they lost to the Titans hurts, but they're definitely still in the playoff hunt. And I like this Colts team. They're able to obviously play defense. Their defense looked good in the second half. I was shocked that the the Bucks just started dominating in the second half. But a big they are more happy, I feel like, about the Texans. I mean, the Titans losing than than uh, than their than them losing. So, I think this was a really big game for the, the Buccaneers' offense yeah. to go out against a quality defensive team and do a lot of things differently than they've been doing this season. Leonard Fournette obviously had a huge game. Yep, four TDs, and then you have um, Gronk back, who got a heavy workload from Brady. I think it's a you know, breathe some new life into this Tampa Bay offense. They have, they're back to being able to do it multiple ways, execute both running the ball, throwing the ball. And then it's just big for them to go out and get the stops that they needed to and get the turnovers. The secondary still has a lot of issues. I mean, the reason that the Colts were so explosive early in this game was because Wentz threw all over them. And mm-hmm. luckily enough that he ended up making some mistakes in, later in that game and they were able to get back into it. Their, their front seven, stopping the run, they had probably the, one of the most effective games against Jonathan Taylor that he's had all year. Only ran for 83 yards and a touchdown. That's because Tampa Bay played well up front. And But the fact is they were able to get a quality win uh, on the road, I believe, too, right? It was on the road Yep. in Indianapolis. So I think that overall it really helps, the, really helps the Buccaneers get back on track. And I think it cements them in that, top tier of the NFC. I think everybody knew they were there, but they were slacking the past couple games. So it gets them right back into that conversation of being 
possibly one of the best teams in the NFC, but I think I know who I think the best team in the NFC is. <laughs> we'll get to that later, though. All right. This was a battle of two and nine teams. I don't know if you have anything to say about this. The Jets take down the Texans 21 to 14. Uh, this is the Jets' first win against Houston since 2010. Um, the Jets moved to three and eight. Texans yeah, two is, and nine. Um, yeah, this is the uh, this is the battle of the Titan killers because both of these teams have beat the <laughs> Titans this year, which is so bizarre. Um, the next note I have is the Texans still stink. I'm glad I didn't bet on them, and the Jets are at least showing some signs of competency. And I think that it's really good for Zach Wilson to come back off an of injury and get a win. I think that's helpful for his confidence for this culture of this locker room and what Salah is trying to build there. So good for good for Zach Wilson, good for the Jets. No more noise from either of these two teams, though, for the rest of the season. <laughs> um, the next one, I'm going to chalk this game up to Vegas having a weird line on this game. I think the Eagles were – well, they may have been underdogs in this game and against the Giants and the Giants win outright 13 to seven. This was a boring game. I unfortunately watched most of this game because I bet <laughs> on the Giants and um, but the Giants pull it out. They had a few big plays from Daniel Jones to get down the field. The Eagles could not get anything going. I think Jalen Hurts. What did he he had three interceptions. I mean, that's just not going to get it done against a division team, especially when you're playing Daniel Jones and he doesn't turn the ball over at all. But it was also good to see uh, Saquon Barkley back. I mean, it seems like he's out every other week, but he, he did have 17 touches, not very many yards, like 53 yards, but at least they were getting him the ball a little bit. I think that helps them. Just him being on the field obviously gives them another – Another weapon. Kenny Galladay had a few catches, but yeah, there. This was a pretty boring game, all in all. Yeah, it, it sucks for the Eagles fans and the Eagles team because they were really in stride, playing well. And Jalen Hurts though has really struggled throwing the ball recently. He's been amazing with his legs, and this team has found an identity running the ball and being very committed to running the ball. But when you turn the ball up over three times throwing it, you can't run your way out of that hole. No. And the Giants have. Uh, one pick in the last eight games defensively. So I think that defensively they're doing the right thing, turning the ball over or getting takeaways. Uh, but their offensive effectiveness has really held them back. They just have a lack of identity in their offense. Daniel Jones has thrown for less than 200 yards very, very um, consistently all year. He just hasn't been able to get explosive plays downfield because of the lack of their playmakers. Like you said, Saquon being out has kind of stripped them of their identity of wanting to be a run-heavy team. So I think they just need to take – I know they just lost this game to the Eagles, but I think they need to take a little page out of the Eagles book, try to find an identity offensively. Their defense is getting some takeaways. You just got to figure out a way to hold on to the ball, make the plays when you need to. The Giants get the win, though, and you can't really chalk it up to anything other than that. Good win for them in your division. You walk away with your head held high after that one. Yep. All right, moving on to the Panthers at Dolphins. Um, this was just a terrible day for the Carolina team all together. Um, the defense could not get off the field. They had a blocked punt return for a touchdown. 
They couldn't run the ball at all. They had zero protection for Cam slash P.J. Walker. They had drops, and Cam and P.J. Walker both are inaccurate. Uh, three, two picks for Cam, one for P.J. Walker. Uh, McCaffrey also is now out for the year after this game. So this may have been the nail in the coffin for the Carolina Panthers. Obviously, they're still in playoff contention, but without your best player and your defense has not been playing to – as advertised, I just don't quite see the Panthers making the moves offensively to beat some teams down the stretch. Obviously, I could be wrong, but this was a big, big loss for the Panthers. But I will give a lot of credit to the Dolphins, who have now surged to five and seven. Tua played probably his best game of his career yesterday. He had uh, he was twenty-seven to thirty-one for two thirty and a touchdown. Um, the Dolphins look pretty good. Their defense has been very, very good the past few weeks. Um, obviously, Brian Flores coming from New England, he's a defensive guy. So, your thoughts on this game again with the Dolphins and Patriots or Panthers? Excuse me. Yeah, the Dolphins are starting to look like the team that we thought they were going to be at the beginning of the season, which is very solid defensively. We don't really know what they are offensively, but we're starting to see that. And at the middle of the season, we are saying this team is probably the best team with a bad record. They're better than the record shows. And they've started to piece it together here. So good for the Dolphins. Uh, they've improved completely on the defensive side of the ball. They've allowed less than 400 total yards in seven straight games now. So that's really impressive. Brian Flores should get all the credit there for turning that around for them. And then they've really let Tua loose the past couple of games. Uh, he's got 30-plus pass attempts in five of his last six games as a starter. So I think that they're kind of giving him the keys a little bit more because they haven't been able to run the football very well all year. For the Panthers, I'm out on Carolina. I just – that's twice now that they've convinced me that they're a good team this year, and then they've just flipped the script. I just think they're a little too inconsistent defensively, and it hasn't been consistent all year from both sides of the ball. They convinced us when they started out, what was it, 4-0, 4-1, something mm-hmm. like that. They convinced us they were going to be a playoff team. And then they started another good stretch here where they went to Arizona and got the win, played well against the football team, but lost. And, and then now it's just another ba- – it's bad loss to the Dolphins where you get blown out in an NFL uh, standard. And I'm really worried about Christian McCaffrey's ability to stay healthy with him staying out for the year. It's just starting to feel like one of those scenarios where – very similar to how we feel about Saquon. There's a lot of talent there. This, I'm not sure if he's going to be able to stay healthy in his career. It's, yeah. It seems like every week, every year, he's dealing with something different, and you hate to see it because he's a very talented kid. But I don't believe that the Carolina Panthers are going to be able to sleep for a little while thinking about whether McCaffrey will be the guy of the future. So mm-hmm. Panthers should rely heavily on Cam for the run game in the next few games because – you have to avoid getting down and get into obvious passing situations because their O-line is not good. And Cam and P.J. Walker, like you said, can't throw the ball accurately. So when you get into obvious passing situations, it's it's death for you. So yeah. they need to try to avoid getting down <coughs> early in games and try to mix up their run game with using both Cam and Chuba Hubbard. And hopefully they can just try to piece it out. But I'm, I'm out on the Panthers. I don't think that they're going to be a playoff team. All right, moving on to 
uh, battle of the top teams in the AFC, the Titans and the Patriots. The score here was a little bit worse than the game was, but at the same time, I never really thought that the Titans were threatening to to take the this game over just because of the lack of offensive talent they had out there and all the injuries that they've had. Um, the turnovers killed the Titans in this game. They had two fumbles on the other side, the Patriots inside the Patriots 40 or 30, and also a pick in the end zone from Tannehill. But the Patriots are now streaking. What is this six in a row? Yeah. And they're moved into the second seed in the AFC. Mag Jones still playing very efficient, 23 of 32 for 300 yards and two touchdowns. Um, but I think this Titans team can still battle and be in the playoffs just strictly based on the fact that they can run the ball so well. They had almost 300 yards rushing, and they only scored 13. Just cleaning up the turnovers, being more efficient. Tannehill, I mean, 11 to 21. I know there's not many guys out there, but just getting a couple more completions there in the red zone and just sticking in some touchdowns along with their defense. I mean, they really didn't give up 36. They had a few unfortunate plays where the Patriots scored a couple, like 10 in the fourth quarter at the end to make it a lot worse than it seemed. But uh, this was a pretty good game in the first half. What uh, was it? Uh, who? What's his name that had a big touchdown right before half? Um from the practice squad for the I'm not sure Titans. I didn't I didn't watch this game. He he uh what's but you can go ahead and talk. Uh Hilliard, Dontrell Hilliard. He's a, he he looked really well. He had 12 carries for 130 yards and touchdown. Gotcha. Well I think the Patriots might just be the best team in the AFC right now. I don't know who's better than them. I really don't. I mean everybody else has been pretty inconsistent and the Patriots have been the definition of consistency pretty much all year long. They've been competitive in every football game they played against good teams, bad teams. So I think that the Patriots really look like a very quality team, especially defensively. And then they're making things easy for Mac Jones. Big matchup this week against Buffalo, correct? Yep. Monday night football. And then they have a game against somebody else and then Buffalo. They have in. Buffalo by at the Colts and then Buffalo again. Right, so two games against Buffalo and really three quality teams at the play here in three weeks. So we'll see how the Patriots are stacking up whenever they maybe have a little bit more pressure on them from opposing defenses. But this Titans defense is good. I know they're banged up. The Titans have been hit with the injury bug a little bit this year, and they've still been able to make the best out of it. Um, the Titans – I don't want to say they're losing momentum, but this is just a stretch you don't want to go down. You don't want to peak too early, and it almost feels like they have. They really need to turn the ship around and close out this division sooner rather than later and start prepping for the playoffs and put together some really good wins before that before that stretch starts. My thing I think that really concerns me about the Titans is that Tannehill has just been very average, and I know that they've had injuries with Julio. I know they have had obviously had, had – Henry go out, who they were using more in the past game this year, and then A.J. Brown has been in and out in the lineup. So I'm not 
saying it has been all his fault because he has not had the weapons around him. I'm not saying he's been downright bad because he's had some decent games this year, but he's just been very average. And we just talked about Derek Carr being in a tier two. And earlier this season, we put Ryan Tannehill in tier two. And I think that he has shown that he's a true tier three quarterback in this league. I put him in the yep. same conversation as Kirk Cousins, Baker Mayfield, those guys right now, he might be at the top of that list in that tier, but he has played like a tier three quarterback. Yeah. He's got 14 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, and he's missed some really, really bad throws and bad reads that have not been able – you can't blame on having your receivers out. It's just bad yeah. reads and forcing the football. So, I, I think that's the biggest concern. I know the potential's in there for him to play better, so hopefully the Titans get back on track. All right, moving on to a big divisional game, the Steelers and the Bengals. Um, big Ben, lost. he's now lost three straight starts versus Cincinnati for the first time in his career. Um, and I think this is a big win for the Bengals. They came in, they knew that Pittsburgh was trying – this is a big-time game, and they, they knew Pittsburgh was going to be physical, and I think they out-physical – if that's even a thing you say, how physical <laughs> them uh, on offense and defense. I mean, I thought their defense was flying around and making plays all over the place. Big Ben obviously had two picks, but they really contained Najee Harris. Najee Harris had like 35 total yards receiving and rushing. So, I mean, that was a big time win for the Bengals. Obviously, Joe Burrow, 20 to 24 for 190. They had Mixon going, 28 carries for 170. I mean, just an all-around very, very good win for the Bengals. And now I think they play um, the Chargers this week, so that'll be another huge game for them to try and get on top of the division. So your thoughts on this game? Obviously, I know you're a big uh, – you don't particularly like Big Ben or the Steelers, so – yeah, and I don't really – there's not much here to say, I think, about Big Ben and the Steelers because yeah, yeah. they – I think they just got kind of dealt a shit – or not kind of, they got dealt a shitty hand in this game. Mm-hmm. They Bengals came in with a great game plan. They stuffed Najee Harris. I mean, he only ran the ball eight times. They were committed to stopping that, but they were down early, quick in this game. And mm-hmm. I tell you what, man, this Bengals team, they can run the freaking football. They yeah. handed the ball at Joe Nixon. 28 times. He had 165 yards and two touchdowns. They really didn't have to rely on Joe Burrow that heavily. heavily. He was efficient going down the stretch. I'd like to see Joe Burrow take care of the football a little bit more if I'm a Bengals fan because he still threw a pick in this game and he's done a lot. He's turned over the ball a little too much for my liking this year, but we know that we've heard a lot about these big play receivers, his connection with Jamar Chase. you got T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. Uzuma's been good this year. It's been great across the board for the Bengals, but I think the key of this offense is when they run the ball well, they are they can really open it up. So good game for the Bengals, and they get back on track and get back to being a true playoff contender. But 21 points in the second quarter and shutting out that Pittsburgh team, it was a good start for them. Yep, for sure. Um, next game I got is the Falcons at Jaguars. The Falcons win 21-14. to Moved to five and six, still just chugging along, hanging around. Not a team you want to play late with an experienced quarterback. A um, couple weapons, Cordero Patterson, 
I mean, he is their rock. I mean, as much as Harris was saying, I mean, not Harris, Owen was talking about making fun of him for having Cordero Patterson, but that dude is is rolling it. I mean, he had 108 yards on the ground, 30 yards in the air, and two touchdowns. I mean, that pretty much just won them the game. And their defense was just good enough to help hold the Jags to only 14. <clears throat> um, Laquan Treadwell came out of nowhere for the Jags, had 53 yards. I, I haven't heard him since he was at Ole Miss. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, not much from this game. I didn't watch any of it. So, I don't know if you have any opinions about the Falcons or the Jags at this point that have changed. I mean, the Falcons, like, it's weird because you don't think of them being a better team than the Bears, but they are. And, I mean, they're five and six. They haven't been horrible. They kind of beat teams they should have beat all year. And for the Jaguars, they just really have lacked talent across the board I want to start seeing some more improvement for Trevor Lawrence but I don't know if that will come this year just because of the lack of talent the adjustment playing in the NFL uh I'm not gonna sit here and say that he's a bust but he's got to start to turn it around at some point hopefully next year will be a better year for him but he's he just has to keep learning as the year progresses and goes along they're still asking to throw the ball a bunch, but they've been down a lot of these games, so I'm not really worried about that. Um, yeah, nothing more to say on this game. It's it, it was kind of the crappiest game of the week. Yeah. Besides, actually, the Texans and Texans and Jets, Jets. <laughs> tied. They tied. Um, the next game on the board is the Chargers at the Broncos, and if I were to give out an award for the Chargers, it would be wishy-washy team of the year because they will beat some great teams, Chiefs, Raiders, Browns, Eagles, Pittsburgh. I mean, not great. Not all those are great, but have some really good performances and look like a solid playoff team. And then they also have losses like 34-6 to to Baltimore, losing to Minnesota, 28-13 to against Denver, uh, losing to New England, losing to Dallas. I mean, those are all also pretty solid teams, but they, it's like their identity changes every week. They don't stick to the same guns that got them there. And this was just a poor effort from the Chargers, in my opinion. Obviously, they had a pick six late in the game that made it a little bit worse, but scoring 13 is just not going to get it done. But they played into the Denver's hand, I think with Denver's secondary is probably the best part of their team, and they were just consistent on throwing the football. I think this is another case like Josh Allen. They have to rely more on the run game because their leading rusher was Justin Herbert with 36 yards. I think you got to get the ball in Austin Eckler's hands more. He's a playmaker. They also have uh, like Larry Roundtree and other guys like that, Joshua Kelly, that can get it done on the ground. I think you got to just try and find out how to win in multiple ways and not just airing it out. Yeah. You know, we get wrapped up in the ability of a lot of these guys, and I'm not saying anything negative about Justin Herbert. He's played his ass off, and he's played well in his short time in the NFL. He showed a lot of promise, but I'm I'm not glad. I'm sad that Owen's not on here because he likes to do this a lot, but – 
as soon as a guy shows his talent, we're like, oh, this guy's going to be the next blank, the next this, that. We've done it with Josh Allen. We've done it with Lamar. We've done it with now Justin Herbert. We've done it a little bit with Joe Burrow. It's There's a reason that Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, there's not many of these guys. Like It's not yeah. that easy. There's a lot of really talented quarterbacks out there. And if Justin Herbert or – you know, Josh Allen, those guys, if they turn on being Phillip Rivers, that's still a really successful career. And I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I just – I don't know. We were ready to crown Justin Herbert as this next big thing and the same thing with Josh Allen. And both of them have turned out to have just average teams around them and they've had to do everything themselves. And I just don't know how sustainable that is. So uh, this Chargers team is just inconsistent. I'm not sure what else to say. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Moving on to the next game, which is um, helping my case from last week's podcast, talking about the Rams, the Packers and the Rams play in Lambeau. I will say the Packers are a very good team. I think this is who Harris will say is the best team in the NFC because that's also my vote for the best team in the NFC right now. But once again, the Rams – cannot get it done when they're playing a good team. And I think, I mean, they lost by eight points, but that was a lot closer than what this game really was. Um, A a pick six from Stafford in the third quarter, I think it was, Mm -hmm. and just couldn't get the ball going on the ground at all. But Aaron Rodgers, I mean, 30 of 45 for 300 yards and two touchdowns. Devontae Adams, 100 yards. Randall Cobb, 100 yards. No Aaron Jones still ran the ball for over about 100 yards with uh, – oh, they did have Aaron Jones back this week, sorry. Um, but A.J. Dillon, 75 yards on the ground. I mean, yeah, the Packers look really good. Their defense is very good as well. I think their defense has improved a lot from last year. Rashawn Gary is very, very good D-tackle for the Packers. He's coming along. I think this is his second year. Um, but he's out of Michigan. I, I like the Packers a lot. Obviously, Harris, I'm sure you do too. Your thoughts on this game? Yeah, a disappointing game for the Rams. Just coming off a bye, you wanted to come out and be competitive, and they really weren't. I mean, they kind of were, but the Packers really handled them a lot in this game. The good news for the Rams, the good news is that we know this team is talented. We know that they can turn it around. I would compare them to having the chance to be very similar to the Bucks of last year because right in the middle of the season, looks like things aren't quite in sync, but you know the roster's talented. If they can continue to build momentum, I think they're in a fine place. They play Jacksonville next. That should be a win. They go back to they go to Arizona, which is a game they'll be itching to get back and play that team that beat them earlier in the season. They have Seattle, they have Minnesota, they have at Baltimore, and they have the 49ers. That's a really tough schedule, but it's a really good schedule to build a lot of momentum and learn how to get ready for the playoffs. So maybe we'll look at the end of the schedule and say the Rams aren't even making the playoffs. Maybe we'll get to the end of the schedule and say this Rams team is hot and they've been playing well. I don't know, but I think they have potential in them. They've lost to nothing but really quality teams. They lost to the Packers. They lost to the 49ers who have turned it on recently. They lost to the Titans on the road. It's or sorry, they lost the Titans at home, but it's been quality teams that they've lost to pretty much all yeah. year. It's just you have to be able to beat these quality teams, especially yeah. when you get into the playoffs. And I think as 
more games go on. I like what they're doing with Odell Beckham. I think that he'll be fine. I, mean, yeah. I think that they're going to use him well. It's just about them trying to get back on track. The defense hasn't been what I thought it was going to be. And it's no. and that's the most disappointing. I don't think enough people are talking about that. I think the, the talk is around Matt Stafford and him being a little inconsistent these past few games. And then they added Odell. The defense hasn't been there a lot this year. Uh, they've given up 28, supposed to win you most games in the yeah. NFL. Yeah, they gave they gave a lot of points to the 49ers. They gave up a lot of points to the Packers. They gave up points to the Titans. I just I want to see more from the Rams defensively, but I do think they have it in them. We'll see. Sean McVay got to get sure. the team back on track. Yeah, another thing that I think will take a minute for the Rams to kind of figure out is, I mean, Robert Woods has been a staple in that offense for years, and he gets in, gets in there and blocks. He runs the speed sweeps. He's the little short yardage guy with Cooper Cup. Yeah. I mean, obviously Odell Beckham is a guy that can step up, but just having a big body like Robert Woods gone, that really uh, kind of puts a damper on your offense for a few weeks, and I'm sure they'll figure that out. I mean, oh, but real quick, Sean, I, I, I forgot to go on my. I, I I was so busy getting caught in the Rams, I forgot to go on my best team in the NFC. Right? Oh yeah, the Packers are good. They're not just good. They would be my – if I had to pick somebody to win the Super Bowl right now, it would be the Packers. They are, I think, the best team in football right now. They are playing amazing. They are doing it with A.J. Dillon, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones. We know what he's capable of doing when he's back healthy. They got guys like Randall Cobb out there making plays for him, even though he did muff a punt in this game, I'm pretty sure. Um, But, I mean, man, this team has been great defensively all year. They beat some really quality teams. They beat. They went on the road to Arizona, got a win. They've beaten the 49ers on the road. They beat the Rams now. I just think this team is getting better and better each week. I think Matt LaFleur is a hell of a coach and has been able to get them in the right spot to win football games week in and week out. Credit to the Packers. I, I think that they are my favorite to win the Super Bowl as of right now. Absolutely. I, I like the Packers a lot, too. They are definitely uh, one of my favorites to go in and win the Super Bowl as well, especially with the chip on their shoulder from last year. If they were to somehow rematch with the Buccaneers, that would be just a hell of a game. Um, Yep. But next up, this is another team that's just sneaking around. The 49ers pull out a big win against the Vikings. Dalvin Cook went out in this game. Debo Samuel had two touchdowns. But look at the Rams, seven and four. 49ers six and five. They're right there behind them. Um, they 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 were down early in this game, but they fought back. I think going back to what you said, I don't think Jimmy G's getting enough credit. He's really playing efficient football, not turning it over. Um, he had one pick in this game, obviously, but he had 250 yards and touchdown. Elijah Mitchell got the ball rolling. They are really starting to run the football like they like to. Obviously, Shanahan's a huge – he's the running god of offensive coordinate or offensive play calling. And I think getting this running game going is really helping <clears throat> the 49ers. And their defense played pretty well in this game too. I mean, held the Vikings to 26. That's been their strong suit all year was offense. And uh, they held them under, under 60 yards rushing. So, that's a win in my book. But, uh, yeah, the Niners are heading into a good stretch here. Let me look up their last little 
schedule here. You can go ahead and talk about these teams. Yeah, the Niners, we talk about this in college football a lot, but we don't talk about it in the NFL. The Niners are one of those teams that you feel better, and it's more entertaining in the NFL when the Niners are good. They just are. I think that they have a great franchise. I love watching them play. I love what Kyle Shanahan's doing, and they played great. After losing four straight games, they've now won four out of their last five. They've beaten quality teams. They beat Minnesota, obviously, this past week. They beat L.A., and they beat Chicago Bears on the road. They have a pretty, I would say, light stretch in the next three games. They play the Falcons. They play the uh, Seahawks and the Bengals. They've already lost the Seahawks this year. They're probably going to bounce back and try to get those, those things that they were exposed in in that game correct before playing them. I think they win that game. I think they give the Bengals a good challenge, and then they have the Falcons, and then they go – uh, let's see, they go Tennessee, at Tennessee, Houston, Houston, and then at L.A. to finish the year. So I, I think this 49ers team is super interesting. They're gritty. They've showed us they got some heart and fight in them because they were down there in the middle of the season. They're able to bounce back and show us more of what we expected coming into the year. I, I love them, man. I think that they're in a really good spot moving forward. I don't think they're – I don't think I would say they'd win the Super Bowl, but they could upset somebody's season and, and win a couple of good playoff games if they're oh, yeah. able to make it in for sure. For sure. And, I mean, there's nothing off the table for that last game against the Rams to be oh, yeah. for the playoff spot. I mean, that would be just an incredible matchup between two very good head coaches if that was to get in the playoffs or to put one of them out at least – not maybe not <clears throat> to knock someone out, but for the Niners to get in. Um, let's see here. The next game I got is the Sunday night game, which was a one of one of the best games of the week, in my opinion. Even though there wasn't much scoring, it was kind of back and forth. It was kind of a crazy game. I don't know if you watched it. The shit show. Uh, it was it was crazy, man. Like Lamar had four picks, I think, and <sighs> Baker was throwing that shit backwards, and <laughs> it was just like, what the hell is going on? There it was almost, just some it almost weird felt plays. like a uh, it almost felt like an old school Ravens Steelers game. You know those games. Were yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple, couple couple more turnovers than there were with Big Ben and like Flacco back in the day, but it just felt like one of those old school like rough matchups and like AFC North. Hmm. Um. But man, I really, I mean, Baker did not play outstanding in this game, but I'm pinning this game on the Browns' inability to run the football. They had 40 total rushing yards, and, I that, I mean, we've already talked about Baker Mayfield. I don't think you can expect him to go out there and beat a team like the Ravens when you can't run the ball at all. He's proven that he needs a little bit of a run game to win, a fo- win football games. And I thought he made an, some big plays downfield to Landry, he made one to uh, – maybe it was multiple to Landry. And then Harrison Bryant had a big catch. And then Joku had a touchdown. So, I mean, <clears throat> I thought that Baker played well enough to win, but they just couldn't run the football at all. And it's very tough to see your team lose when the Ravens had five turnovers. I mean, that was – that's just – that's like – a lightning striking you have five turnovers in the nfl and win a football game i'm sure the ravens are taking a sigh of relief after that game i mean the fact that this was such a low scoring game and baker's 
banged up, and he still threw the ball 37 times, times and yeah. more than Lamar Jackson threw the ball in this game. It's crazy to me, especially after Nick Chubb comes off of two great games where he has 137 yards rushing against the Beagles, and he has 130 against the Lions, and they gave him the ball 22 times. Kareem Hunt was back, and I know they like to have Kareem Hunt in the offense because they're able to do more with him in the backfield. Catching out of the backfield, it's more of a threat. When Chubb's in there, most defenses are going to sit in there and try to stop the run, thinking that he's not going to be a threat to come out and catch a pass. But I just think, man, this, this team is so much better when they run the football as much as they can. But with that being said, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, they got it done when they needed to. And I think that yeah. is the sign of a good football team. And Lamar, I've said this before, but he has the biggest balls in the league. When he throws four picks, he's not go out, he's not afraid to go out there and throw another one. And in a good way, though. You know, th- mm-hmm. this game was more of an example of when it turns out in a negative light, but typically it's in a positive manner that he is not afraid to go out there and let his previous mistakes get in his head of making the next play. And he's got to clean up some of his mechanics on the underneath throws. That's really been hurting him because that's when, where some of these have gotten away from him. But we know that he's capable of doing it. And the fact is you beat a good football team when you threw four interceptions. You just have to take that and try to build on it and continue to let that be momentum and not discouragement considering you didn't play well. So yeah. you have to feed off of that and not reflect too much and continue to play with the natural swagger that you have. Um, but that that's pretty much all I have to say about this game. Yeah. And to go along with the inner, the uh, turnovers thing, this is the first starting quarterback to win a game with four or more interceptions since 2013. You want to take yeah. any uh, guesses on who that quarterback was? In 2013? <laughs> Won a game with four interceptions. Yep. My he still previ- plays my pre- now. My, well, my previous guess would have been Jameis Winston, but 2013 is too early for that. He's, he still plays currently. I'll say it's got to be it's, – it's not Cam, is it? Nope. Is it Brady? Andy Dalton. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I thought it was gonna be one of those Brady just like shootout <laughs> yeah, games where yeah. he has like and then four, the Patriots win yeah like five to three t- five touchdowns but like four interceptions where they won like <laughs> yeah thirty six to thirty one against the Jets yeah. back in the day or something yeah. or, they, or the Dolphins yeah all right moving on to Monday Night Football this is Russell Wilson's first time in his career losing four straight starts and they fall to the football team and I think Harris's manifestation at the beginning of the season with Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson situation is coming to fruition here as they move to now three and eight, which is just piss poor seeing as the jets also have that same record. Um, they tried to sneak one in at the end or they, they scored a touchdown at the very end and didn't get the two point conversion. And the, the football team is now what they've won three in a row now. Right. Three of their last yep. four. They beat, they um, beat Carolina. They beat um, Seahawks and who they beat before that. The, the Tampa Bay. That's who they won. They beat three oh, yeah. quality oh, football yeah. teams. Mm-hmm. Well, and then they the had Seahawks a close game, closer game against the the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. I would say that's a quality win. I mean, the Seahawks came in there. Try, they that that was a must win game for them, and they really shut down the Seahawks offense. 
Taylor Heineke continues to get the job done. I mean, 27 to 35 for 223. Yep. He did have an interception, but also a touchdown. Antonio Gibson is one of the, a big underrated back. He had 30 carries for 111 yards. Um, but yeah, this Washington defense is really starting to turn it up after being below average the first few weeks. Um, I mean, the rushing game for Seattle is like abysmal. I mean, they ran for 30 yards. Yeah. Russell Wilson was their leading rusher with 16 yards. I mean, that's terrible. Um, I feel bad for Russ. He's not getting any help. Offensive line is awful. Um, DK Metcalf was silent in this game. Never had a big play. Lockett had one big catch, but that was about it for the Seahawks offense. Um, I think that might be the nail in the dagger, the nail in the coffin for uh, for the Seahawks for this season. Time to wrap it up and move on from someone or so, move something around because it's just not quite working. Yeah, the unfortunate thing is that when I made that prediction, I didn't realize that Pete Carroll is the coach, but he's also the executive vice president for the Seahawks. So he holds a different role within that organization. I don't think that he'll be out of the building necessarily, but I could see a different coaching change. He might move to a different role within um, some type of executive or administrative role within the Seahawks, or maybe he relinquishes that role and goes only into a head coaching role. So something along those lines, but Russ is obviously a, a quality quarterback. Maybe he came back a little too early after the injury. I'm not sure if that's what you want to say, but he, it's just been a little, not, it hasn't been fluid, hasn't been typical Russell Wilson. Uh, past couple of weeks, he's looked a little bit off of his game. So that has been the biggest alarm if you would be a Seahawks fan. Some, something's going to have to change. And I'm not sure if it's going to be Pete Carroll leaving or Russell Wilson possibly leaving. But you don't want to ever let go of one of the best quarterbacks in football. And I still believe he is one of the best quarterbacks in football. So I don't know. We'll, we will – find out whether Seattle values Russ more or values Pete Carroll as part of their uh, organization more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> all right. So that wraps it up for the Thanksgiving week, week 12 of um, NFL. And now we can move into reviewing our, our picks for the past two weeks. We didn't record last week, but we did get all of our picks in. For the week, minus one, Owen got an automatic L for not submitting his Lions-Bears pick on time. <laughs> but uh, so Did he get last... an automatic L, or does he just not – doesn't get contributed hey, well, either way? He, I, I didn't know what to do. I guess I could just take an L off, but he just didn't send in a pick. I mean, it was like the second quarter, so I wasn't really – Well, he woke up. He woke him. up in the middle. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't going to hold him against him if he just sent in a pick a little late. Yeah. But uh, just uh, just don't count it towards his record. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it off. I'll take it off. Yeah. All right. So, um, for the past two weeks, I'll just combine the records of the last two weeks. I was seventeen and eleven. Harris was fourteen and fourteen, and Owen was thirteen and fourteen. Um, that brings the season standings to tie number one for one hundred two and seventy five. Harris is at 99 and 78, only three picks behind. 
and Owen is 90 and 86, falling back towards the 500 mark. Um, but we can so move you took on a to three, you took a three pick lead, yeah. Okay, yep. We were tied, and I we over the past two weeks, it's been three picks, yeah. I, I have I've been right stuck at like I can't crack more than six or seven yeah. wins each yeah. week. It, it's been like every time I've been counting them up as I've been looking at scores, I'm like, okay, I took this team, I took this team at this line. And it's always like, all right, one and oh, one and one, two and one, two and two. <laughs> three. I'm like, damn it, man, I'm going to have an average yeah. week again. Yeah. So week 11, I went six and seven. You went, or I went seven and six. You went six and seven. Owen went eight and five. And then Thanksgiving week, I had a really good week, 10 and five. You went eight and seven, and Owen went five and ten after an eight and five the week before. So it was a tough week for Owen. But now we'll pick for week 13. I'll call Owen later on to get his picks for this week. But the first game is obviously Dallas at New Orleans. New Orleans is plus four and a half. And I'm just going to go with New Orleans. I like the Taysom Hill move. I think they will cover but not win the four-and-a-half-point spread. This is a really tough one because these are two well-coached football teams that did not cover last week. Oof. Is New Orleans – I'm guessing they're still banged up with injuries. Yeah. I mean, when you have 14 know. guys out, Let you probably won't get them all Kamara. back Especially when you're playing on third. Oh, I yeah. guess they played last Thursday. When you have 14 guys out, you're probably not going to have 14 guys returning at the same time. So, yeah, it says it says he might come. Alvin Kamara is expected to come back tomorrow, barring any setbacks. I'm going to go with Dallas just because i got to make up some ground, and that's my Super Bowl pick, so I'll stick with them. I hear you. All right, next one, Minnesota at Detroit. Um, Minnesota coming off a loss. Obviously, Detroit is also coming off a loss, but Detroit is plus seven at home. Um, I'm going to just stick with Detroit. I, I mean, they're like you said, they're covering machines. They're – their defense has been playing really well. I think Swift is going to be out in this game. But I still think they'll cover seven against Minnesota. Divisional matchup. I'll take seven. I'll take. Oh, man. This is a really tough one. Yeah. because There's I, some I tough see, ones coming up. I could too. see Minnesota being more explosive in this game. And they scored a lot of points against good 49ers defense last week. I'll take Minnesota. All right. Oh, Dalvin Cook is also out, I should say. Yeah. But Mattinson's right. played well whenever yeah, he yeah, yeah, out. Yeah. So all right. Next one. These are these this week is a lot of uh obvious I feel like you want to say obvious winners, like people who are gonna win the game, but a lot of tough spreads like Arizona at Chicago, Chicago plus eight. So, Kyler Murray, I think, is coming back after the bye. Maybe DeAndre Hopkins, but there might be off to a little bit of a slow start. Chicago just got a big win. I think I'm going to take Chicago to cover eight points. Barely. 
against wait wait read me the line again cardinals at chicago chicago is plus eight yeah i think eight's just too many i'll take chicago all right tampa bay is at atlanta and atlanta is my or plus 11 against tampa bay these games typically seem to be close sometimes Tampa Bay hasn't been blowing people out. I think Atlanta scratches a couple in the end zone. I, I'm going to take Atlanta to cover the 11. Oh, no. Should I do that? No, I'm taking Tampa Bay. I think Tampa Bay. I really want to take Atlanta too, man, because because without Ridley, they kind of have had some guys. Uh, Step up. Gage, Pitts. Yep. I mean, they have some Patterson. playmakers outside Patterson's been – but – I think that Tampa forcing them out of the run and having to throw more, even though it's a secondary. I think that front seven from Tampa stops Cordell Patterson and Atlanta's offense overall, it, you know, just spins out without him. So I'll take Tampa at 11. Ooh, that's a lot of points. <laughs> in a another one, another one in a division with a lot of points is Indianapolis at – Houston, Houston is plus nine. Oh man, I, I can't, I can't take the Texans. Yeah, I'll take I Indy. can't, I can't, I, I can't do it either anymore. I'm done with them. All right, moving quickly on to the Eagles going to New York to play the Jets. The Eagles are, the Eagles are minus six and a half on the road. Um, man. I could see this being a four-point game or a 40-point game. Um, golly, Philly coming off a loss. I'll, I'll take I'll take Philly. <laughs> nah, no way the Jets compete back-to-back. I'll take Philly. <laughs> Um, the Chargers, this is probably one of my games of the week. Chargers at Bengals. Um, the Bengals are minus three. And I think the wishy-washiness continues and the Chargers win this week. So I'm going to go with the Chargers to win outright. I mean, this game, I expect it to be whatever the over is, I'd take it. But, of course, I'm going to look up and it's going to be like, the over Ten is seven. 50 and a half, which is a good bit for an NFL game. Yeah, I'd probably take it. I mean, I, I can see this being like a 30, 33, 28 game or something mm-hmm. like that. I'll take, I'll take, uh, oh, this is a tough one, man. This is a good line. I think three's right on the dot. I'll take, uh, I'll take the, well, I guess three's right on the dot. I've got to take, the at three, yeah. I'm gonna the, flip my pick after I'm gonna change it to Cincinnati. I think that the safe bet is to go to Cincinnati. I think their ability to run the football and the Chargers' inability to stop the run is really gonna because I think it's either gonna Chargers. be right there at three and since he wins, or I think that Cincinnati beats him by 10, you know. Yeah, those yeah. Two. all right. Giants at Miami. Miami is minus four. 
Oh, this is just a brutal matchup. I got to take Miami, man. The Giants are too – I mean, they just don't yeah, have an identity, and Miami's been playing well defensively. I'll take Miami. I agree. Washington at the Raiders. The Raiders are minus two and a half. Ah, uh, These are two right. teams with some new life in them, man. Yeah, two teams. Darren Waller got... is doubtful in this game. Yeah, two teams with new life. Is it weird that Washington has just gotten better since Chase Young got hurt? I know. Isn't that crazy? Is odd. Yeah. Mm. I'll say. Um... This is a tough pick, dude. I'm taking Washington. Two and a half. Cover. I think they might win. Oh, they got this weird little vibe to them. Two and a half. I think the I think the Raiders could score points with them. I'll take the Raiders. All right. Jacksonville at the Rams. The Rams are minus 12 and a half against Jacksonville. Um <laughs> This is one of those games where I could look up and Jacksonville will be winning nine to six in the third quarter. But the Rams are in a big spot, need a big win. They're going to get things rolling. I'll take the Rams. I'm going to take the Rams. I'm going to take the Rams too. Baltimore at Pittsburgh, big rivalry. Baltimore is minus four on the road. I don't know why. I don't know who told me this in my ear, but I'm taking Pittsburgh to cover four at home. Plus four at home. I'm taking it. Against who? Who was it again? Baltimore. Sorry, I got distracted there. I (laughs) think that this is a good game, man. I'll take – Ooh. This is really tough. Pittsburgh let me down last week, though. I'll take – it's the right decision to take Pittsburgh. All right. Next game, Niners at the Seahawks. The Seahawks are plus three and a half. Uh, I'm going to do the same philosophy, even though I just said their nail is in their coffin. Getting three and a half, four points at home against a rival for the second time. These teams typically play close. I'll take Seattle to cover three and a half. I'm not being done picking Seattle, man. They've let me down multiple (laughs) times. I might just have to be done with them. It's three and a half. Yep. I mean, the Niners have been playing well. Um, I think I got to take the Niners. All right. Sunday night football for the division lead in the AFC West, Denver at Kansas City. Kansas City is minus nine and a half, and I'll take all nine and a half. Give me Kansas City. Off a of bye, I'll take Kansas City yeah. all day. All right, so this line is kind of different on different sites. It opened at four, now down to two. Monday Night Football, 
I'm just gonna do the millennial opinion changeroo to just pick pick them yeah, for this game because it's such a good game. The Patriots at Buffalo. You already know who I'm rocking with. I'm going with Bill Belichick and the Patriots. Yeah, you know, you can say what you want about Josh Allen, but one thing that he struggled with is Bill Belichick, and I will take the Patriots to give him uh, make his head spin a little bit. All righty, so that wraps up all of our picks for the Week 13 slate. Do you have any predictions for the college slate? We got Baylor, Okie State, Georgia, Bama, Houston, Cincy, Michigan, Iowa, Pittsburgh, Wake, Oregon, Utah. Any big time shockers this weekend? I feel like there's all. I feel like there's always one that's going to shake something up on the on the conference championship week. God, wouldn't it just be so horrible for them to list, lose the fucking Iowa? Yeah. Wouldn't it be so horrible? Zero, and Iowa, zero and like, big team, big ten teams after having four in the top ten, just having zero in the and, playoff. And Iowa can stuff the freaking run, man. They can yeah. play defense. I mean, I I don't think it's out of the question. I think that but, I think the under in the Michigan Iowa is a good bet. And I think that I think the Michigan's good enough defensively to hold them off. Uh, Oregon, I think, gets back and beats Utah after losing to them early in the season. I think the Biggest chance for an upset and to shake things up is probably Baylor, Okie State. Just because yeah. Baylor, I, I like Baylor's coach a lot. Yeah. Um, been, yep. There's been rumors of him leaving, and he has addressed stay. them very well, setting his stay, stay with his guys, and that gets him motivated and they go out and win a Big 12 championship. So I, I think that's <laughs> probably the best chance. I don't think Alabama's got a chance against Georgia, but we'll see. We'll see. That spreads at six and a half. Georgia's favored. I, I want to hammer that. I want to hammer Georgia on that one. But yeah, um, I, I mean, I also just as I say that I don't. Just as I'd start to doubt them, Bama. But Bama doesn't out. get blown out very often. Um, yeah. But the one to keep your eye on too that could also shake up some stuff is Houston, Cincinnati. Houston's one loss team. I'm not saying that Houston's very good, but I think Cincinnati's beatable, and anything can happen. Yeah, that would just be a what? What a just what a blow to the gut, shot in the foot. Yeah. That would be yeah. that would hurt. Dude, that would suck. But would suck. it's going to be a good weekend in college. Good weekend in NFL. Got some college hoops as well this week. Going to the game tonight. Auburn taking on UCF, so that should be a good one. Here, hold on. But, let me let me throw let me throw a potential. Uh, <laughs> let me throw a potential. Like we were just talking about how we're tired of seeing the same teams in college football rankings. Let me throw like a potential just whirlwind shit show situation. Baylor beats. Let's Okie say State. Baylor beats Okie State. Houston beats Cincy. Houston beats Cincy. Iowa beats Michigan. Iowa beats Michigan. <laughs> And it ends up being Georgia, Georgia. Notre Dame, Alabama, and then what? Like, where's Ohio State at that point? Baylor could sneak in there, or Ohio, it'd probably be it'd probably yeah, be it'd probably be Baylor. It'd probably yeah. be Baylor, but still, that would be shit. Baylor getting in the playoff would be insane. Yeah, it would. But where's where's Ohio State in the ranking? They're. Six, I want to say. Oh, then they they might I mean, or seven, seven, seven. So they're ahead of Baylor. Like, let's say yeah. Baylor and Oklahoma State played just like a shit show of a game. 
two loss Baylor team, two loss Ohio State team. Who are you putting in? I mean, I don't know. It'd be it'd be pretty funny. So that would be yeah. a, a hell hell hole situation. But who knows? Maybe some end expansion. Up, end up Ohio State, Bama, Notre Dame, and Georgia would be just the biggest letdown after yeah. three weeks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, All right. Man. Well, that All wraps right. it up for this week's edition of Millennial Opinion. As always, like and subscribe. Let us know what we can do better, what you're enjoying about the podcast, and we'll try to keep doing our best. Uh, Ty, anything else? That's it, man. Peace right. out. See ya.